Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Troop Gamage. Troop is a composer, voice actor, and sound designer who's currently traveling the world, not staying in one place for too long. In this episode, we talk about his work on games like Solar Ash and Lord of the Rings Online, how he learned the skills of both music and sound design, how he got into voice acting in the first place, and how he ended up voicing multiple characters in the same game at the same time, his days touring with his bands Speak, RAC, and The Chain Gang of 1974, and how he's managing his work now that he's traveling all over the place, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Troop Gamage. So... One of the things I want to start with you is you have the most wide breadth of experience imaginable from touring with bands and playing keyboard and doing video game audio and voicing Aragorn and Pippin and Wormtongue all at once in the same game of Lord of the Rings Online and mixing a song from Rick and Morty. Like, it's just insane. And we're in a world where a lot of people tell you just like, do one thing for your whole life, never look at anything else. So can you tell me how all these different things kind of came together and how you approach it and how you make it so it's something that's worthwhile to you and something that's valuable to you as opposed to you saying, oh, no, that isn't for me. How do you kind of draw that line? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think basically I have always really enjoyed audio. And so I would set up kind of barriers for myself. Like when I first started, I was like, I'm a composer. And then over time, you know, you're kind of the only person on the team that that could possibly do sound design. And so you you kind of like, okay, sure, I'll I'll dig into that. And then, you know, eventually you're doing a bigger project and you kind of want VO and you're like, I guess I'll I'll take a stab at that. And you know, over time I had the the desire to learn how to do all these things like as part of projects that I was doing. And then suddenly it's like, well, hey, I like your record that you mixed. Why don't you mix our record? Like why don't you produce this thing that we're doing? And um, I just kind of have always said yes. I mean, I think maybe maybe the problem is that I I didn't have enough work, you know, in any one field. So I was sort of like, all right, I guess guess this is what I'm doing now. Like I got to pay the bills somehow. And I think you know, touring in bands. Like I, I devoted a lot of my time in my 20s to to my band and making records and touring and stuff. And I think that really disrupted a lot of the kind of normal path that people would take. You know, that's sort of like, okay, I'm a sound designer. I'm going to go in-house at the studio. I'm going to do this thing. You know, there was sort of no path before me where I was going to like really drill down on this one thing because I was constantly going on the road for six weeks or whatever, or, you know, we're making a record and my bandwidth gets really limited. So I just had to find those things that, you know, would would work. And yeah, like voicing characters in Lord of the Rings online. Like I was living in Austin at the time and my rent was like 500 bucks a month. So I could like do a session and that would pay my rent for a month, you know? And then that's like, that's one day. And then the rest of the month I get to like focus on like creative projects and stuff. So yeah, I think, I think just sort of like saying yes to everything and not really having the opportunity to like focus in on any one thing, um, has, 
has sort of worked out for me. I mean, I'm happy with where I am now. You know, I, mean, I think there were definitely points where where it was pretty frustrating. Um, but I think uh, if you can remember all the stuff, which I routinely forget, you know, lots of uh, like how, you know, how different fields work. And like when I do a voiceover session, and it's been a while. I'm like, oh, my God, forgot that how to do this. Um, but it's yeah, it's really fun. I mean, I think I just like a life with a lot of variety to it. So I think it's worked out really well in that regard. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something about how it can get frustrating sometimes, you know, you know, when you're maybe pulled in too many directions or you forget how to do something because you haven't done it for years. Can you talk to that and how you kind of break through those times where maybe your skill isn't high enough or you're pulled in too many directions? You don't have time, whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that probably I have a capacity to like push through that period of like unknowing in a way that I think actually is just I think if you if you really are passionate about things, you're able to kind of have that breakthrough when you're in that phase of like, ah, I know what I want, but I'm not good enough to get there. And that's like, that's a really kind of awful time. But I think I've almost gotten to a point where I enjoy that. And I sort of like, get bored when I don't have that. So I I like hit this point of like, well, now I kind of know how to do everything. What's the point in just executing this thing I already know how to do. So I think that like, almost like forgetting and then coming back and remembering is a really great tool to like, keep me engaged and inspired in these different fields and not like rest of my laurels. Like I remember um, Tom York from Radiohead saying that like, after a few records, he was just like, I'm just too good at guitar, I have to start writing on keyboards, because like, I like play guitar and my fingers just go to all these places. And I'm like, that's cool. But that's very us. And it's like very like, the song I would have written three years ago. And so he was like, I just need to sit on a keyboard and, and be like, I don't know what I'm doing and just do weird stuff. And I think that's for me creatively finding like new unknown, undiscovered territories to to explore is like just a lot more interesting than kind of going back to my old groove, you know? Yeah. And what does that look like for you? Because, yeah, sometimes it is a physical change like, oh, I will change my instrument or I'll change my DAW or something like that. And it just forces you to do something else. What other things do you do to force that? Yeah, I mean, I think tools is is a big one, like Solar Ash, you know, the project that I was just on. I hadn't really like done a, a full project in Unreal. And so that was like learning, like, you know, the, the sort of vocabulary and the language and the possibilities within Unreal was like this really amazing kind of exploration and, and sort of the music side was fairly similar to what I'd done before. But suddenly I was breaking out music into 10 stems and putting them in Unreal and like doing this crazy web of nodes that you know, would fade them in and out at these times and you'd go into this area and things would change. And suddenly it was like I was composing with a completely different tool set, you know, even though it was the same DAW, like the actual sort of end result was being filtered through this totally dynamic, crazy thing. And then, you know, now on Breaker, we've got Wise and I'm really excited about the possibilities there. And so we're sort of like, it feels like I'm always, each project, there's always some kind of new dynamic, even if it's like I'm using nine out of 10 are the same tools. There's one new tool that's like, that totally recontextualizes how, how I think about everything. And now, honestly, like I've gotten, you know, on, on Breaker, like I've been working on the music there. Alex wanted to have like more expressive sort of elements, a little bit more like piano style instruments. And so I brought out some MIDI keyboards that I like hadn't really used because I do most of my stuff with a QWERTY keyboard because I use trackers. And so suddenly it's like, oh yeah, like everything I play kind of sounds a little different. It's like more expressive. Now there's this kind of different like input, even though the DAW is the same, even though, you know, a lot of the instruments are the same. 
So I think just finding those like little tweaks kind of between projects over the years has a huge impact for me, at least on, on keeping me like excited about what I'm working on, which I think is the main goal. Yeah. And especially between those projects or even during, is there like practice for you or is it the project itself that kind of gets you more experience and more ideas or do you kind of sit down and quote unquote practice do you play etudes or whatever it may be your equivalent of that right that's a great question yeah that's such an interesting question i feel like i have not practiced in maybe like five or six years or something i mean maybe even like a little bit longer like i mean i do i get new plugins and I like experiment with them, you know, or whatever, like I'll make little things. But I used to do a lot of what I did was sort of like, I just would find a sound somewhere or I'd get a new plugin and I would just like make a whole song out of it. And it really was practice. You know what I mean? Like songwriting is like every song you write is practice. And there's really no other way to, to practice uh, songwriting other than to write songs. And, and so I kind of consider like every creation to be practiced to some extent. But I think now I've hit that point in my career where most of the things I'm doing are sort of like it's new, but 90% of it is built on this established, the 10,000 hours of mixing drums, the 10,000 hours of like writing songs, the 10,000 hours of, you know, playing games and making game audio and evaluating and all this stuff, or playing shows. And so like, that foundation means that the new 10% is like, always the thing that you get to focus on. And that's kind of like, it's not really practice but it is new, you know, but you're still able to get kind of some results without even being good at the new stuff yet. So it's like, you're not a total joke. I think that's like really, that's a thing that that is pretty new for me. That idea that you can get results just like from scratch, like, oh, cool. I'm just going to start this project. Here's the thing. That's ah, pretty good. A weekend, like, you know, it used to take me like months and months and months to find the sound of a, of a thing. And I think you know, I've just gotten the confidence to like go forward and also the the set of skills that I can get like in the ballpark quickly. So I don't have to sit there and just like churn out a bunch of stuff that I know is going to be bad. But I'm pretty slow and like meticulous, I think, when it comes to projects and sort of putting things out into the world. And so, you know, it's not to say that I just like bang out genius stuff right away. It's just that I'm like, ah, it's not good enough yet. I know it's not good enough yet. And now I've got the skills to like take the time to get it to a place that I think is at least interesting, you know? Yeah. And can you talk to the years it took to get from point A to point B, point B being now? Like most people will be like, I've been in game audio for one year or I've been in any musical thing for one year. Why don't I have all the jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It is so funny. Like, you know, I've, I've like started um, mentoring a few people and like, it's just so amazing how my frame of reference is so warped because I started, I was actually like doing a mortgage application earlier. And the guy was like, Oh, you're a composer. Like how long is your career? And I was like, Oh, uh, and it's 18 years was when I was paid to do my first game soundtrack. And so the idea that like somebody's, you know, just graduated college and they're like, let's go. Like, all right, I'm, why am I not getting these jobs is so insane to me. So I do feel really fortunate that I started, I started, you know, making, games when I was like 11. I started um, playing instruments when I was basically like four or something. And so a lot of this sort of foundational work was done really early. And then my 20s, I, I just I just grinded mercilessly through my entire 20s. And that was just like, I was so into it. You know, I was so excited to like make records and have that power, have like the space, you know, the instruments, the gear to like 
understand how audio works um, and have opportunities, you know, in game audio to or, or in voiceover or whatever. Like I just like really dove into all those opportunities. And I, I can't say that there was any like hack or or trick. You know, it's it seems like I've done a lot like, oh, you know, how could you like mix a song, but also like do game audio stuff that, you know, that involves engineering and also do voiceover and whatever. But like, you know, I was singing like every single day I was doing voice voiceover like several times a month. I was sitting in front of a computer making music or making some kind of audio like 14 hours a day, every day for years. And, you know, you just sort of like acquire all these little bits and pieces. And unfortunately, there's no, at least I don't know, the like the great shortcut that just puts you like in that position of being ready, you know, and I still don't feel ready. Like every project I, I get to 10, 20, 30% or whatever, I'm like, oh my God, how did I not know this thing? You know, like this is an insane skill. So I, I think just like being excited about the work uh, and being willing to to just put that work in for yourself and not expecting to get paid for it necessarily. You know, not that you should like work for other people for free, but you should work for yourself for free. And, and you know, and you should collaborate with other people who are also like at that level and just be making things. And I really appreciate my band and like, you know, the people that were around me that that did collaborate with me on on projects that I think like forced me to reckon with what it means to like be a creative leader or like, you know, see a project through to completion. Um, so I think finding those people is really important, you know, so that you're not just working in isolation. Yeah. How did you find those people? Because something that is very interesting to me about you is if, you know, I, I look you up, you're not some social media god. Yeah, I, I've never met you in person. We only met because of Hyperlight Breaker. And I didn't even know about you until Solar Ash. So like, how did you kind of build your network? Was it more organic? Was it being in the band? Like, how did that work? Yeah, it's wild, because I do look at that. Like when I was working on my website, I was trying to figure out like how to do a portfolio. And I was like, I'm just going to lay it all out there. Like, this is the crazy stuff I've done. And it is like, how could you possibly get to all those people? But the answer is really just like, because I've been making things for for like 20 years, you know, is like when I first started um, in games, uh, it was me and my, my best friend, Tristan Michael, who now is working at Niantic, um, also in games. We sort of joined this community and it was online, like kind of before RPG Maker, before like, you know, Game Maker, before any real like commercial game engines. And it was basically just for making like Super Nintendo style RPGs and Genesis style RPGs. And that was like, my whole like junior high, high school game development was just that community, which you kind of look at and go like, how is that going to be useful? Like you're that genre has been dead already for like 10 years, you know, and you're like getting into like, <laughs> I'm going to make JRPGs in the year 2000, like this bright future ahead of me. But, but what's amazing is like, actually that community, those were the people online at that time who were the most excited about making games. And so not all of them went on to, to have careers or like, you know, enter the industry, but like many of them did. So I, I sort of, you know, kept in touch with all those people. I was the first person that they thought of, like when they went on to do projects, you know, they were like, Hey, Troop did all those things for free when he was in high school. And like, that was great. So why not pay him, you know, a thousand bucks to do some stuff now? Like that would be great. And then, yeah, through, you know, those connections, like I met like rich, um, disaster piece. So we've been friends for like, I mean, now it's probably been like almost 10 years or something with no like working relationship, just sort of like we, you know, met through mutual friends, we were just pals or whatever. 
And then like the solar ash opportunity was a, a total just coincidence. Like my friend came into town, we went to uh, Six Flags Magic Mountain and Rich gave me a ride up there. And we were like talking about the project on the way up. And I have at the, at the time I was co-directing a game with, with Tristan. And then that game fell apart like the next month. And I called up Rich and was like, remember when I said I was so busy? Actually, with nothing whatsoever to do. Would you be interested in, you know? And at that time, I hadn't really done the level of like intense, neither had Rich really, like 3D open world, building a bunch of systems and stuff. So that was totally like a challenge that I, I came on as a sound designer, ended up being the audio lead, did tons and tons of like, you know, blueprint systems, did most of the music, like that just sort of evolved did VO in that game as well, which is really fun. And so, yeah, it's like, you know, all, all those things are very much like you're making stuff. Definitely the same thing with the band, like the Rick and Morty thing came came through because we were friends with this band, Chaos Chaos, who's amazing. And they had like kind of built a relationship with Justin Roiland and, and Rick and Morty and we're doing tracks and they were like, hey, you know, we did this song with you in Brooklyn. Like, were you were the first person we thought of when we wanted somebody to mix this, you know? So it's just sort of like, this process of generating cool things that the world is like kind of interested in. They see you're serious, you know, you're like, Hey, you're making stuff. And you just, you genuinely become friends because you're like fans of each other's work. You respect each other. You know, you're doing the same types of things. And then it's just wild. Like what people go on to do, you know, uh, people that you've known for ages. Um, so I think, yeah, my, my, my advice is always just like make a lot of stuff with a lot of people and, I think that's something that being in a band is good at because you tour and you like play festivals and whatever. And so you meet a lot of people. Um, and I haven't done that with games as much. Right. It's just so interesting that you can't predict where all these connections will go. You have no idea. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm sure like I could have done, you know, instead of doing South by Southwest for 10 years, I could have gone to GDC every year for 10 years. And, you know, that would have looked very different, but I would have met probably a bunch of the same people in the end, you know, what it's like kind of like when you're in that creative space, like it doesn't really matter that much, to be honest, like what you're even doing, you're just making stuff and people are excited. And, you know, the lines are getting blurrier and blurrier, I think, between different art forms and mediums. So it seems like a good time to just be like on the Internet, in person, wherever you can be creating and that that's your ticket eventually and being patient waiting for that to somehow pay off at some point, you know? Yeah, I mean, you and I both mentor people. And the thing I always tell people is just make stuff and talk to people. Just those are the two things you just ha And if you're not getting results, one of those two things isn't enough. It's too simple, almost, because a lot of people will get started and they'll be like, all right, now what? I'm doing the thing. And it's kind of reps after that. It's like, keep talking to people, keep making stuff. 99% of these things won't pay off even five years from now. So when you're mentoring these people, like, what do you tell them to keep them going and make them realize like, oh, no, no, you're just out of college. You're just starting. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's always the same advice that you just gave. I mean, my first question is always like, what's your financial situation? Because that matters so much. I was really lucky that I like didn't have dependents. I quit school after like a semester and I was like, okay, I'm not doing that. Don't have college debt. And I had been working already in my craft for like, you know, years before I started doing any professional work, like the, my first job out of out of college, I worked with the fat man who's like a really legendary game audio guy and great mentor and great guy. So, you know, I was able to do some pretty amazing projects like right out of the gate. Not everybody can do that, obviously. So if you've got to work a day job, if you've got to do something that, you know, you're less excited about doing and takes up more of your time, 
you have to be excited about doing game audio for yourself and like in collaboration with other people in a non-professional context until the opportunity comes along. And it doesn't mean you can't apply to gigs, you know, like you can't see things, you can't like respond to Twitter requests of, hey, we're looking for a sound designer, like absolutely be looking for jobs. But if you sort of like set an expectation of like, I have to be working at Bungie as a weapons designer in the next three months or I'm, I quit the industry. Like, <laughs> I mean, look at my career trajectory. It'd be like, if it's, you know, six years ago, you'd be like, I don't know. He like did like the mutant mud soundtrack is probably the biggest like game thing he's done. Like, I guess, yeah, he voiced some like characters in Lord of the Rings online, like not really like anything super concrete and solid. And I think like solar ash is really a culmination of like a lot of kind of just feeling around and just seeing what what would work and how I could make a living until I sort of got to that point where, yeah, I think I'm ready for this opportunity. Now I feel like more secure in my career where I feel like, okay, I think I could probably get jobs regularly going forward. But I, I didn't feel like, oh, I've made it sort of never really felt like that. You know, I've always just felt like, I don't know, I'm, I'm just trying some stuff until I get enough gigs to survive. So I think it's just not having those expectations of like, this is success, this is failure that I think a lot of people go into the industry with. That's sort of my my biggest piece of advice. And I always want to know for, you know, mentees, like, where do you want to be? Do you want to be at that big studio? Do you want to be like one of five people on a small team? Do you want to be at like, you know, heart machine size, like there's 20 or 30 people. And it's, a lot of times you don't know. And so you're you're basically your kind of journey is to like, say yes to as many things as possible to figure out like, what you hate, what you love. And that process is just like, I should be mentoring these people for like 10 years, at least because like, there's going to be so much stuff, they're going to be like, now I'm the audio lead. And the producer is like telling me I need to do this. And, I, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's a real pain. Like, there's no like, end point, in my opinion. So I think, you know, just letting people know that it is like the spectrum. And that you're just like, at one point on the spectrum, but you don't hit a hit a point and you're done. It's just like, you're constantly moving through the gears. Yeah, it's just a different feeling of not knowing what you're doing <laughs> every time. Yeah, exactly. You might very much like me get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm, I feel really confident. I can do some really good orchestral music. I never want to do orchestral music ever again. You know, now I want to do this. And it's like, I, I just can't predict what like what your career is going to look like. So I think being happy with the work that you're doing, regardless of what the project is, how much you're getting paid, whatever is the way to eventually get into those positions that do pay, that do have whatever, you know, prestige or their cool projects or whatever. So I think that's, you know, a real crucial like mindset thing. And that's almost above anything else is just like being set up for that endurance, you know, in the industry, because it's, it's a long process. It is. And speaking of that mindset, there's a similar mindset that you need to have when you're just in a collaborative space in general, whether it be a band or game project or anything. What do you think a good collaborator, it could be audio lead, sound designer, band member, anything like that. What do you think they do? Like, what does a good collaborator do? Yeah, by far the most important thing in my life in terms of like, how I view myself as as like a successful creative person going forward is is the second record that my band made was insanely long process insanely like democratic and sort of like fraught but not fraught in a way where there was like a lot of tension and people like storming out and like smashing bottles or whatever it was fraught in a way that like we had very different ideas about what this thing 
should be a lot of unformed ideas about what it should be. And we basically just put in 100% of the necessary work to create something that all four of us really loved. And that is like extremely difficult to do. And I think that almost nobody has the experience of like genuinely creating something with other people where there is no like director who is just saying like, that's wrong, that's wrong, like this is right. But actually like, you know, having to find a compromise on everything, every issue or a structure where you can sort of say, maybe I don't love this thing, but I get this thing and the overall result is great. That's a really special thing. And so I think coming out of that, I realized I was like a totally changed collaborator um, and that, you know, I was essentially always looking for what's the solution that everyone is most happy about rather than like, what's the solution that's closest to my original vision? Because I, I wouldn't have made that that record without, you know, the input from the other guys. So I think that, you know, a successful collaborator is basically somebody who knows their own limitations, doesn't have to have all the answers, is always looking for the positives in, you know, when you get like a, a piece of work back, you're saying like, these are the great things that we want to highlight. We want to like move things in this direction. Here's the things that are detracting from, from this greatness, you know, here's the things that are distracting from like the core magic that is there because there's always something good in, in every piece of work that anybody creates um, even if that's just to inform you know oh that really doesn't work like you nailed that thing clearly that's not the right direction now we know that that's not working like do you what's your next idea oh you don't have one let's brainstorm it together or let me let me go away and think about it and i'll come back to you um, but yeah not just sort of ending conversations with you know it's bad see ya but but sort of like what's the next step here? Like, how do we find this together? Um, so, you know, I feel really fortunate that I've had quite a few mentors, I think, that that really had that approach. And it's it's one of the things I think is sort of lacking in video games as a industry because it's so time consuming. Everyone's always down to the wire. And so a lot of the like, how do we find common ground is just thrown out the window and you just get, do it this way, do it this way. Oops, that was wrong. Uh, that took six weeks. Okay do it this way. Oops, that was also wrong. That took six weeks. And if you, if people had conversations and sat down and just hashed it out, I think it would ultimately actually be a lot more efficient. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned something earlier where you left college after a semester and then just started working professionally. A lot of people will kind of feel, oh, I didn't go to music school or school in general for audio or anything like that and feel like, oh, well, I'm screwed. I can't, I can't do this. There's no way. What do you say to that? Because you quit after just one semester and still managed to make it work. Yeah, I mean, it was really tough when I when I went to school. Um, I went to college in 2006 and there was basically no like legitimate programs for anything that anyone I know now goes to school for. Like my nephew's going to college now and he's going for entrepreneurship. And I was like, what the what is that? You know, it's like learn how to make apps and stuff. And, you know, at the time, like there was maybe like DigiPen and then um, Berkeley in Boston had the um, like music synthesis degree, but I went to, to USC for music composition. So it was very like old school and very, you know, it was essentially to, to train you to be a film composer. And after, after a semester, I was like, I just don't want to do this. Now there's tons of programs that are amazing that people are like, oh, I went to school for like, you know, game design with like a minor in game audio. And, you know, I'm just like, this is incredible. I have no problems doing that stuff. I think it's it provides a structure if you need a structure. And I personally, you know, as we've sort of already discussed, like 
my whole thing is being stoked about that period of like not knowing. I just dive into whatever it is and just kind of like get my feet wet and get my hands dirty with it. And so I, I think like if you can go online, do the wise tutorials, if you can set up, you know, get an Unreal project going. And I was telling him into this, like, just get one of those like Unreal, the guy in like a gray box room with a lot of motion blur and just like start putting stuff in there. You know, like there's nothing that stops you from doing that. It's free. There's tutorials online. There's literally no barriers whatsoever to you not getting like a college education, but like learning all the relevant stuff. And if I'm hiring and I see somebody with like, here's the assets I downloaded from the asset store and I made this piece of music and I, I like did this little, you know, procedural music system. Here's what I did in Blueprint. I'm not even looking at their resume, let alone their college. I'm looking purely at this thing. Like, what is their thought process? Like, how are they explaining what they're doing? What is the quality of the work? Are they like running into issues that they're solving, you know, and they're kind of showing how they solve them? Like, that is all 100% more relevant than what degree you got or didn't get, you know, a decade ago. So yeah, I would say like, there's basically no mandate to, to go to school. I think it's just, if that's something that's going to benefit you, both in terms of connections, you know, like talking to people and, and doing the work, like that's a place to do it. And especially because you, you get loans and stuff, maybe that's a way you can do all that and not have to like be working at Starbucks. And you're like, ah, oh, you know, I don't feel like I have enough time. It's like a way to like really immerse yourself. Uh, but for me, it was just, yeah, it didn't, didn't really make sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's important to know because for some people it'll make perfect sense. Like Rich and I both went to Berkeley and that's how I met him. And then 10 years later, I worked on Hyperlight. Like you'd never know, but you, after one semester, like, eh, but you still wound up working on Solar Ash. So it didn't matter ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I could have gone to GDC every year and I would have met you at one of those GDCs. Right. There's no, there's no real like right or wrong way to do it. I think it's so much of it is about the, the individual, about how you learn the best and about, you know, if you're somebody who's really shy and you have a really hard time, like going to conventions and talking to people, maybe being in a, in a class with people that you're like kind of forced to collaborate with is a way that you create those bonds, you know? And, and so maybe there's, there's parts of your personality or the way you, you learn or the way that you, you know, that you create that this really like fits in, in a great way, or maybe it's miserable. Don't let your parents, like my parents did, uh, convince you to go back when you're like, this is awful and doesn't make any sense. Cause they, yeah, they were like, no, you got to go back. And I went back and within like a week after in that second semester, I was like, this is just no, there is no point to me doing this. So yeah, really like, I think there's less pressure now for college, but like, do not let society pressure you into doing any of the things that people say you're supposed to do. Same thing, voice acting. I just made my own reels. I did my own work. I've been voice acting professionally for uh, now. It's been like 15 years or something. I have never done a voice acting class or like thing where I paid a thousand dollars to someone to like make my reel for me, do whatever. But you have to make your stuff. Like it's not an excuse to, you know, oh, I'm, I have a great voice. My mom says I've got a really cool voice. Like, yeah, I really always wanted to get into voice acting. Like then you should have a reel, you know, but you don't have to pay someone else to make a reel. Like if you can do it yourself. So I, I just think like the, the number of options that are available to us now with the technology that's there, great microphones, great computers, great software, you can just get into game audio yourself, you know, there's no less valid course of, of getting into, uh, into the field compared to any other. It's all good. Mm -hmm. There's something I want to dive in so badly, and it's your parents forcing you to go back to USC and you knew you didn't want to go back, but you did anyway. And within like a couple of weeks, you're like, Oh God, 
there's this line in what we do where sometimes we just need to grind out something we hate doing to get that skill or that gig or whatever. But then there's also a side of it of like, no, this is actually pointless no matter what. What is that line for you? How do you know? Yeah, I was actually thinking about this. You know, I've got these MIDI keyboards out and I'm like, God, I'm not very good anymore at like playing into a grid. And I'm just like, it is crazy how like of all the music that I've played, everyone always thought I was a much better musician than I actually was like just in terms of as a player, because all the bands that I joined, like I just was exactly good enough to do what was necessary and and nothing more like truly like, you know, play this like shredding guitar. Like I, I toured with the band, the Chang Gang of 1974 had the famous uh, GTA five trailer song sleepwalking and there's like a keyboard solo in that that i played on guitar and like now i could not play it that i can't play any better thing than that but i learned how to do that for that tour and i think like i just know that i'm not a great like instrumentalist you know like that's fine and i don't really try to to be a great instrumentalist and all attempts in my entire life have always frustrated me they've made me like go away from music you know like when i was taking piano lessons when i was younger sort of hit a wall where i was like it's just hard for me to be better than this. And that's, that's just okay. Like, and I haven't hit that wall with other things, you know? And I I think I've always had the confidence to know when I'm improving and when something is like, is making sense. And when something is like, this is, this is feels wrong. Like this is an unnecessary grind, you know, like I just know if I want to do it or if I don't want to do it the next day when I wake up, you know? And I think Rich is really good. Like we, we've talked a lot about like, he made like a spreadsheet for projects of like, you know, pros and cons of like how creatively fulfilling is this going to be what is the financial upside like what's the time commitment and you know it was like okay i'm going to rank these because he was kind of having trouble like deciding what to do with all of your you know you've got all this energy you've got this time in your life like how are you going to spend this and i think that's a skill that i've actually been developing since that moment in college where it's like feel free to walk away if it's not good the only time you should be grinding is when you love the thing that you're doing so much and you're so pissed off that it's not good enough yet. And it just has to be good. Like, and you can't walk away from it. And if it if it doesn't matter how good it is, but you're still just like needlessly grinding, you're going to burn out. Things are going to become toxic, like, you know, kind of just within yourself. Um, so I think having the confidence in yourself to know that there's things you're going to excel at and things that you're going to struggle with. And sometimes, yeah, you got to do the stuff you struggle with. But, but like, you can make a career out of, weird things that you're good at that are just really random but like are perfect for some team somewhere you know or like for this project it's great and then a month later somebody needs that other skill you have and it's great um so i think that's the dream for everybody is finding that balance you know yeah and i feel like when we're in that stage of developing those skills we can also look at other people and be like oh okay maybe they're practicing 15 hours a day or something and maybe we want to be Steve Vai too, or something like that. And we look at that person who is becoming that person, they shred 15 hours a day, and we can kind of self-evaluate and be like, do I want to put in that same amount of time to get that same sort of result? Sometimes it's just the result we want, and we don't actually want to put in the, the shredding and the hours and all that sort of stuff too. Yeah, there was an um, article that just came out about the guy who won, I think it's the Fields Prize for Mathematics, who said exactly that he he dropped out of high school he wanted to be a poet and then he was like i actually realized i wanted to be a poet but i didn't want to write poetry i just like wanted to be a poet and so then he like kind of stumbled into math and basically is like an absolute insane genius but the, everyone was posting on twitter because he works three hours a day and he just does whatever he like 
is inspired to do in those three hours, including things that have absolutely nothing to do with mathematics, like just gets stuck on like reading Homer or something. And is like, that's what I do all day. And the rest of the time I take care of my kids and I go for walks or whatever. And I think that there's, there's definitely like, you know, when I say like grind, the hours are definitely important, you know, like just doing the thing over and over again and getting the groove. But like, it's sort of like allowing yourself to really be captivated by that headspace, even if the work is only a few hours and then you kind of leave space for yourself. And you, especially with creative fields, like, like music, like leaving space is super important. And seeing somebody else who's just like cranking out thing after thing, reel after reel, but they haven't actually collaborated in a team and they haven't thought about hard problems and solved them and sort of been like, oh, God, this is going to take a week to even like conceptualize a solution. Like that person, those are really important skills, you know, that are are difficult to convey in a resume or, you know, on a website. But like that is crucial to being a good game audio collaborator, you know. And so I think just meandering through developing some like arbitrary set of skills because you like follow somebody on Twitter and you see that they like do these great gun sounds or whatever, that's way less important than following your passions and developing like your perspective and your point of view and your own like problem solving mentality. So I think that's, you know, I wouldn't really compare myself to other people in terms of raw hours because I feel like that's just sort of a meaningless like metric or even like how many redesigns I've done or or how many like things I've posted to SoundCloud of like imaginary games or whatever. It's like, it's all great, but ultimately there are things that require just like thoughtfulness and like just pondering that are huge leaps in your, your creativity and your ability, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And that it kind of comes to the point where you realize later in your career or maybe early where you start to realize like, wait, music or sound or whatever your main thing is, that's not the thing I do. I'm trying to make the developer or whoever I'm working with or for not have to think anymore. <laughs> like that is ultimately the job. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that can do a sound of like a big stone door opening. You know, it's like, okay, cool. The thing is like what came before the stone door? What's after the stone door? Is there anticipation as the stone door is opening? Do we want to like swell in a you know music cue here? Like, okay, who's got the stone door blueprint? Like, where do I hook up the, you know, that's all the stuff that is like, if you're a real seasoned, you know, professional, you're like, I got this, I've got ideas. If the director has ideas, I'm open to talking about what that anticipation looks like. None of that is covered by sitting around like, yeah, doing redesigns all day or or like paying for like master classes that teach you how to like, you know, use Waves plugins to like make the most perfect mix and that, all that kind of stuff. Like I've, I've just always like sort of devalued the extreme attention to detail of the craft in terms of like specifics in audio quality and things like that, or like pushing really hard into ambisonics and, and 5.1 and like, you know, codecs and all that kind of stuff, which is like obviously super important, but that's, that's like a, it's a technical role. And I think a lot of people that get into game audio, they have a vision of it being like a super creative role. And if you're going to be into that side of it, you need to have an understanding of the design of the sort of engineering of like how to make that happen. Otherwise, yeah, you need to go to school and get like really good technical chops or learn C++ or whatever. You want to bring something to the table there beyond just sort of like, yeah, I make sounds because that's just truly the beginning of the of the process, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really, really is. It's kind of the most eye-opening experience I had of like, wait, no. 
it's table stakes. Like, of course you can make good music or of course you can make good sound. We're not even considering that. What else do you have? What else can you help us with? Yeah, that's the default. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, I did it. Check out this track. And it's like, all right, great. We're going to need um, five variations of this, uh, depending on what the, and you're like, wait, what? I was thought it was going to be like Waymatsu or whatever. You know, I was like playing Final Fantasy and I was like, I'm just going to make some tunes and it's going to be great. And I'm also, I'm going to make tunes like exactly like these ones. Like I'm not, you know, when you're like 14, you're not like, I'm going to be innovating the soundscape of video game music. You're thinking like, I want to just do exactly what's in front of me the exact way that, that this person's doing it because that would just be so awesome. And so I think like, you know, people sort of underestimate how foundational that is and then how much stuff there is on top of that. And when like one of my the people I'm mentoring just got his first kind of real position and was like, oh boy, there's all this stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, this doesn't get any easier. <laughs> like this is a problem every studio will ever work at. Like this is the curse of audio. Like, you know, it's just, there's a lot to get inside your brain that is really, it's like emotional and and sort of conceptual and almost like esoteric and has nothing to do with like EQs and compressors, you know? So that's, that's the stuff that I think college like does like a little bit of that you know when you do collaborative projects but that stuff you just have to learn kind of on the job or doing game jams or doing you know making projects like mods or whatever like just getting some people together and doing that stuff and being like wow it's weird that all my ideas are not just being accepted by every single person on the team suddenly you know they're asking me for things and i don't really know what they're asking for and i'm making suggestions and they're getting shot down and i'm like but i thought i was a genius and every idea i had was perfect so yeah, it's a real awakening that I think everybody has to have at some point. And it's better if you can have it before your first like professional gig. Yeah. <laughs> I certainly didn't, but it is better if you can. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that. yeah, uh, it's been a long process. All those things are things I'm still like, there's so much improvement, I feel like on that side of things for me that like, I'm eager to just collaborate with more people and like learn from from the way that they do it, you know, because there's a lot of lessons to be to be taken away from. Yeah. So speaking of lessons, it's the second to last question I ask everyone who comes onto this show is when you're first starting out, and that could be anything, that could be when you're four picking up your first instruments, it could be college, it could be high school, anything like that. How did you define success? And how has that changed over time? And what is that definition now? Yeah, I think I had like sort of two tiers of success. One was that I wanted to make a living doing, you know, sound in some capacity, which I have succeeded at. The other was like later in life, I wanted to make a living like being in a band and, and like writing, you know, basically being an, a pure artist um, as opposed to, you know, someone who who kind of does work in the context of other like larger projects. And I failed at that one. But I, you know, it's fine. Uh, when I did a, my like heart to heart conversation with Alex from um, Heart Machine, I was like, yeah, you know, I always had like games as a fallback. And he was like, fallback. And I was like, well, you have to understand. I was like 10 when I started making them. So that was like, you know, the idea that I could do game audio was like, well, yeah, obviously, like by the time I left college, like I've been doing it for eight years or something. So I think, you know, there's still a part of me that has that aspiration for the sort of the art side. And the next step in my journey of like doing things I don't know how to do is um, direct a, a game project myself. And so that's that's definitely something that's in the works. But if that doesn't work out, I feel successful by virtue of the fact that I get to work on projects that I think are really cool that I would want to experience if I was just as a fan. Um, I'd want to play these games or I'd want to like, you know, watch this movie or whatever it is, you know. So I think it's really hard to to not view myself as successful by any framework, even though, as we've been saying, 
there's like tons of stuff that I want to do that I haven't done. And there's, you know, sort of always that like next step that you can take. But I think, you know, I've never been totally destitute, although that has been extremely close uh, many times. And I've always been able to kind of piece together a living doing audio work. I feel like it's important I should mention that I did a lot of slot machine audio because that was like where I learned how to do. It's where that's where I like ground out my like sound design and music chops, like doing different like genres and stuff. And that paid a lot of bills. And I think a lot of people think that's like beneath them or would be like, no, I can only do like cool indie games. You know, not that I encourage like gambling or anything, but I would encourage people to to like look outside of the framework of like success means I work at Blizzard and I do like, you know, I'm the audio director at Blizzard or something like I think that that like doing audio work that is exciting and fulfilling is the definition of success and and not having to like take a job doing something that you're not passionate about. So, you know, by that metric, like if I can stay at exactly the level I'm at right now, like then I'll be happy for the rest of my life, you know, in terms of career. It's a really good place to be. Yeah. Well, I'm about to screw it up, though, and try to do stuff that I'm not qualified to do. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll revisit this podcast in, uh, you know, five years or something and be like, I've had to move back into my parents' house or whatever because I failed miserably. <laughs> I think one, one other thing that's important to mention is that, like, when you treat people well and you have a reputation for being a good person, you don't, like, lose your social capital or whatever, like your sort of presence in the in the industry, because, you know, people only want to work with you if you're hot, if you're bad to work with, you know, but if you're great to work with, kind of doesn't matter if you're like the coolest person in that moment, maybe it's been a few years since you've had a, a good project, people will, will remember that it was a good experience working with you. So I think, you know, I'm less fearful about like, losing my presence. Uh, I'm not so worried about like social media, even though I should be better about it and stuff. But I think that that like in the future, if I sort of step away to try to do something else and then I decide, okay, whoops, didn't, that didn't work out great. There's people I could collaborate with um, that would sort of save me from having to move back in with my parents. So, you know, I, I think that's another important thing to mention that like you should really try to maintain a good reputation in the industry, treat people well, treat people beneath you well also that are, you know, coming up through the industry because they will eventually be above you in some capacity and want to hire you. Just sort of treat everybody with dignity. And I think it's it's much more difficult to sort of disappear, you know, from people's minds. Yeah. Awesome. What a beautiful note to end on. So last question, which is very simple. Where can people find you? Anything you want to share? It could be bands, it could be websites, anything. Yeah, I think it's just Troop Gamage for everything. So it's T-R-O-U-P-E-G-A-M-M-A-G-E. -M -M -E. I think it's on Twitter, troopgamage.com. They've got an Instagram that I don't update very often. But I think, you know, Twitter is the place where I talk about stuff the most that I work on. And, you know, always feel free to, I think my email is on the website. Feel free to Twitter, DM me, whatever, with, with questions. I'm pretty accessible. So, yeah, please find me and say hi if you have any questions about any of this. Beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time. You had so many good insights. Yeah, a pleasure. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound, B-I-Z, pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game, music, and sound. 
Thanks so much. And I'll see you next time. And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. 